Hello, this is Ruslan Malinovsky. Hello, this is Roman Yeremchuk. Hello, I'm Sergey Rebro. And you're listening to Ukraine Plus Football. He's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading east, he's heading football's heading east. Hello everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of the Ukraine Plus Football Podcast, the number one podcast in English language on Ukrainian football. We are here again bringing you the best of this wonderful game that we love. I'm Adam from Ukrafot24, I'm joined as always by my two excellent co-hosts, Andrew, Mr. Zoria Londons, whisked himself back from Barcelona to join us. Andrew, good evening, how are you mate? Fine, thanks Adam. Pleasure as always to be here. A disappointing trip to Barcelona football-wise. Well, senior football-wise. Saw some decent um, under-19s football, which is always a positive, and some nice sights in Barcelona too. But yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking about that in a bit more detail later on. Yeah, it's looking forward to hearing about the trip. And as always, Ray, dressed in Oblong Green tonight. Keeping the pride there. How you doing? It's good to see you. Hello, guys. It's great to be here again. And uh, yeah, Obolon uh, hit the bronze spot this week, and that's something to celebrate. But I'm not wearing the colors because of that. It's uh, it's a fatal coincidence, as you say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not much happening on that front for me uh, lately. So I I can only be judged as Obolon Kuzmich, as uh, Andrew started calling me recently. And uh, I'm, pl- I'm pleased to discuss uh, the another match day of Ukrainian football. Ah, good. Great to have you here as always, mate. Joining us today, we're really fortunate to have Maxim Snikovsky. Uh, Maxim, for those of you who don't know, is uh, an analyst with one of the top agencies here in Ukraine. Max, it's really great that you've took time out of your schedule to join us. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm doing okay. Thanks. First of all, thanks for inviting me. It's a big honor for me. Indeed, that's my first time. I made my debut here. So don't judge me. <laughs> we won't, we won't. I'm sure it's going to be great. And of course, uh, good news today. I guess everyone at the agency is celebrating again with Bushan being called up to the national team. Uh, definitely. But as for me, he should be the player of starting 11. So that will be the holiday for me. <laughs> well, that's that's what we have to have to hope for. Now, Andrew, you've been following the sort of the national team uh, religiously almost over the last few months, and the one player in particular uh, happy with the squad announcement today. Oh, you can see a big smile on your face. Um, I'm kind of indifferent. I'm not. Sh- I'm because I'm not sure what impact it will have in the grand scheme of things. So the big news, the big headline, Ruslan Malinovsky returns to the national team squad call-up after a month away due to having a fallout with Petrikov. There's lots of rumours and stories that either Malinovsky called him up to apologise, to talk it through. Petrikov called him up because he was being pressurised by Pavelko. There's no actual 100% uh, official story on that so that's all 
hearsay for the time being. However, he's back. And I'm sure that it's to the agreement of everyone involved to prevent any sort of negative, you know, outcomes in the future. And then on top of that, I wouldn't even say that that's the biggest, not controversial, but surprise inclusion. The biggest surprise inclusion, of course, is uh, Dennis Haramash has been recalled after many years away from Zbirna, after, you know, a stunning run of form this early season. He's back. And it's going to be interesting to see whether he will have a role to play. A lot of people are saying that he'll probably be one of those auxiliary players that comes on in the final 15 minutes or so to cause some sort of chaos up front and to see if someone can knock something in and he can get a deflected finish or as is always the case. So we'll certainly be an interesting next month. And on top of that, the other players that have been recalled, um, Kacharaba's back after getting a an injured eye socket in September, which forced him to miss the October internationals. Viktor Kovalenko returns after missing the Euros and a number of other things after his goal and assist for Spezia last weekend. That's sort of the only form we can go on of his of late. And of course, Alexander Zinchenko, who's not really been in the Man City side since recovering from injury recently, but hopefully you can get a few games together before the break begins. Otherwise, as we already mentioned, Bouchan's involved, Piatov's still there, Riznik's in goal, and then the rest are the familiar faces that we've known over the past few call-ups that Petrokov has already had. Yeah, Ray, can I just bring you in here? Because I remember when, when the last squad was being discussed, you kind of mentioned about Zabina moving on from Zinchenko and... Malinovsky, are you happy that they're back? <laughs> well, it's just as we discussed that. It's uh, I got myself thinking who pushed whom to that uh, sort of agreement and uh, um, negotiations about coming back to Zbirna because I don't think Petroko is the man who will be pushed around. And from the other hand, we know that the even the hardest uh, have fallen. Uh, let's remember Fomenko with his uh, lineup for Euros and the, how Shevchenko started his coaching career in Zbirna. That was right before the Euros and uh, Fomenko wasn't asked about it. So it's a controversial thing and it's, it's a good question from Andrew. Uh, is it worth it? You know, is it worth uh, all the drama we've witnessed and all these quotes and punchlines from Petrakov? Uh, Will, will the result prevail in the end, after all? But I'm really happy that Kum is on fire and Kum, uh, Denis Garmas, uh, for the ones who don't know, is uh, having his word again. He is the, um, he's the symbol of brutal football as we know. It's the old school one. <laughs> uh, you, you say that. I mean, Max, uh, in, in your line of work, do you, do you consider him international level now he's he's had a great run of form in the upl but do you do you do you see him having an impact how much that is uh, in the national team squad or is it just somebody who's going there to make up the numbers and put the smile on some dynamo kiev fans faces don't know what to say but he's on fire he's definitely on fire he scored so many goals recently 
And Morova, he's an extremely talented guy. Uh, maybe, I'm not, I'm not sure if you remember, but in 2009, he was playing for Ukraine U19 and scouts from England, especially from Tottenham, was looking for him. So he was too close to join the English team, but he failed because of like transfer policy of Dynamo, <laughs> as it always happened. So he's a good guy. He went to Turkey. He was doing not bad there. He was not great, but not bad. And uh, he came back to Dynamo. I don't know if anyone was considering him as a player of Dynamo Kiev, but he managed to fight for his place. And now he's, he's the best striker in the team. It's and sc- moreover, yeah, but Petrikov is playing with three defenders, three, five defenders, mm-hmm. uh, one striker and two players uh, like Yermolenko Yer- and Siginkov under the striker. So this place could be played, uh, could be substituted by Harmash instead of Tsigankov. Because previously in Dynamo, in the last season on Prebrov, he was playing at that position and he scored 10 goals, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I believe uh, he could help this team. Uh, that's good. Bit of positivity there to get us going. Because we're going to dive now into a kind of a, a, a spiral of despair as we look back at the European fixtures this week. <laughs> um, We've brought some happiness at the start of the show today, listeners. How about that? Well, yeah, Andrew, of course, you were in Barcelona all this week, um, hoping to see some uh, memories of days gone by in the late 90s. Anything like that? (laughs) How did it go? Sadly not. It was was rather... In Ukrainian, the words nudno, it was like nauseous to watch in terms of how uninspiring Dynamo played against Barcelona. And especially when they went 1-0 down pretty early on, like 36 minutes in, they looked like they were settling for a 1-0 loss just to, you know, shutting up shop, not offering too much going forward. They did throw on a multiple array of strikers that they had. I think they were even playing with two up front at, at some point with Haramash, Ramirez, Supraha was tried. And there's just the perennial problem that for whatever reason, there's just no coherent you know, build-up play for Dynamo and how they want to play in attacking formation. It's just very difficult for them to create especially in the Champions League. Of course, it's easy to do so in the likes of the UPL against Nipro 1 or Lviv, as they have in recent games. But for whatever reason, they just don't look up for it. They look out of their depth slightly when it comes to the European games. I think that's quite a powerful word there, the, you know, phrase there at the end, out of their depth. And Ray... Your prediction is still holding strong, isn't it? A grand zero in the in the goals scored, and we're we're now halfway through. Any hope? Are we going to see one? Uh, in the history books, this result is going to be uh, printed as one nil, same as two thousand and nine results, uh, which was 
2-0, I believe, but still in no camp. Uh, the fans will have another 60 years of telling uh, grandkids of how close were we, how good we were, how gracious and powerful the team was playing 1-0 in 2021. So it's all, it's all a fairy tale, you know. It's all the, uh, uh, the everlasting plot of uh, in fan in the mind of a um, mediocre uh, fan of Ukrainian football. But apart from that, uh, I'm pretty sure that even if uh, they lose the rest of the matches, like zero five or zero six, how we used to this season, starting from this season, I, I would add. Um, nothing happens. There will still be support, there will still be hope, and there will still be huge uh, um, you know, praise, whatever happens. I cannot explain it, but I don't know how, how far and how low should we fall to realize that uh, this is the level of Slovakia and Slovenia and Moldova, for Christ's sakes. I mean, this is it. And that's where we are, but no one, no one's ever going to talk about it because Ukraine is the biggest country of Europe, and we won in 1999, right, in 98, and that is that is catching up on us, you know. Simply, sorry for the rant. Oh no, feel free. And uh, can I just correct you that uh, Moldova's a little bit ahead of where we are at the moment? <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> it's it does have to be pointed out that uh, they scored in the Bernabeu. Let's see how that how that's going to work out. Uh, I mean, Max, I Ray throw there painted a beautiful picture of how far how far down this wormhole we're going to fall. I mean, do you see any glimmers of light with Dinamo in Europe? Look, I, I'm praying that they could score a single goal. That that would be the great success for them because. Yeah, it definitely. looks like it looks like they lost the game before the start and whistle indeed, and it happened not for the first time. The previous season was the same thing in Kiev when they were playing against Barcelona. The same thing was in uh, against uh, Juventus in Italy. So I don't know. It looks like they don't have the balls. Mm -hmm. If you if you if you uh, check the Instagram of Zigankov. Shaparenko, if I'm not mistaken, they all tell him that the result is not uh, up to their standard and they want to do that better. But come on, guys, where is your aggression? Like, how many falls did you commit during the game? How many tackles have you done? Look, it's they, they should be ashamed of this game, indeed. <laughs> they didn't even try to do something good. Fair comment, fair comment. Andrew, I mean, you watched the under-19s beforehand, didn't you? Um, is there any scope for any of those guys there who, who could actually step up? Because Ramirez, we saw start uh, at the weekend against Dnipro 1, got hauled off quite quite early on, from what I recall. Um, is, is there anybody in the under-19s who could potentially step up? I think it's slightly too early, in all honesty. Yes, they can be fed in progressively, added into a few lineups, and then given some chances towards the ends of matches. They have got a few good players in there, that's for sure. They've got um, both on the wingers' sides. They've got Diallo 
who's who looks like a really promising player. Sadly, it seems like he's got a bit of a end product issue. So finishing is maybe one of his weak points, but he gets all the good chances and then it's just that final ball. Sort of reminds me a bit of um, Raheem Sterling in his early years at Man City and uh, Liverpool days where he was doing a lot of right and then just in the final instant just can't finish the job. And then there's on the other wing, right wing, uh, Nazar Voloshin who looks like a proper player. I think if Tankov is to move on, he'll probably be the logical successor to him on in that position. I feel that he still may be a bit young, but it's equally at the sort of age that they were at. Tankov was already starting, I think, playing for Dinamo. So maybe it's time after the winter break, maybe not just yet, let them finish their UA for Youth League campaign etc and then see how it goes from the new year elsewhere they've got a few decent centre-backs defenders but I don't think that that is the biggest problem area for Dinamo at the moment it's just more coherence in attack and sort of knowing what they're doing when they've got the ball and want to pass it forward like Sidrachuk we've discussed before not the most dynamic of defenders when it comes to creativity. Chaparenko is probably the bright spark against Barcelona. Okay, he didn't have his best game, but still he looked like the one that was most active in trying to seek to create something. But, you know, when a lot of your players are just inside your own half and like on the edge of it, and then when you're breaking, it's rather difficult. And I think Dinamo's best chances, even though they had like zero shots on goal, were all from set pieces and kind of says a fair amount about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's going to be difficult. I mean, as we've already mentioned, Barcelona are in crisis. So if, if they, they should be still getting some sort of opportunities in Kiev in a few weeks' time. Let's see if they can pounce on them. But, you know, not, not the most promise going on in that point of view at the moment. Am I right? The in the Clasico at the weekend, uh, Barcelona had about three shots in the entire match. Were absolutely dominated by Real, and shows sort of sorry state where they fell. Now we mentioned obviously striking is an is an issue. Sort of twelve months ago, we were twelve twenty four months ago, very hopeful about Vlad Supriaga. Uh, Max Supriaga, obviously. He he belongs to your agency, if I'm, I'm right. Uh, what's what's sort of going on with him there? How close was he to moving to Italy in the summer? Because it was a, a story that we were following a lot on the podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, and if he is a cool guy, first of all, like I'm not telling about his uh, football skills, but I'm just telling that he is a good guy. He's very kind, and he ever smiles. So. He's a cool guy. He he's you know he's a big professional. He never goes out uh, after 10 p.m. You will never see him in the city. He never drinks any alcohol, even at birthdays uh, or any celebrations. So he always trying to train as much as possible. Even after the trainings with the team, he do some extra job. Uh, he uh, do you know this this stuff is game ready. It's the thing to recover for the footballers. For the Alex, he recently bought this stuff to for recovery 
so yeah and about his transfer to italy he was he was way too close because 15 minutes uh, like what the gap between him and the italy because the all contract details was agreed with spezia and the problem is that it was the last day the last minutes and the club italian club um, wasn't on time to register the contract so that is the story that's a real shame a real shame it's been nice to see him get a couple of chances uh this season in in the first team but say as we, we've all noted it's i think a move will do him the world of good as well from away from from dinamo and hopefully he can find the success that he had when he was on loan at the Nipro <laughs> a couple of years ago as well um now Last week, when we were this sort of previewing all the European games, Shakhtar was going to be our big hope. Didn't quite turn out like that. Um, I, Andrew, I, I know you, you 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 caught the game whilst whilst in Spain as well. But on Thursday after the game, I actually went down to the club and I was talking to a few officials there at the stadium, and my God, they were miserable. They were really miserable. I think nobody was expecting such a level of beating and the poor quality play. I think from Shakhtar and the you know the mistakes that that they shown. But um, Andrew, I think hopefully I haven't took too much from you there. But would would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean it's kind of a tale of two halves in the sense that Shakhtar looked to be more in it in the first half. Then a bit of a freakish own goal from Krivtsov that meant that Shakhtar were trailing going into half time and then it just all sort of fell apart from their point of view in the second with four goals conceded, not really able to get back into the game attacking wise. They tried to maintain their sort of shape and going for build-up play on the, on the break, but ultimately it just didn't fully work out. For me, I don't know, it was, I think it might be a personnel issue, just the way that they're set up, playing with Krivtsov and Marlon in a centre-back partnership, it, you know, it just screams uncertainty. We all know that we've not really been convinced by Marlon so far, but he's seemingly the stalwart. Matt Vienko was obviously injured. So that didn't help matters. And then that same old story that we've been talking about, Maikon and Alan Patrick playing in the middle for Shakhtar. It just doesn't really work for me personally. And I don't think it really works for them overall. The fact that Stepanenko was on the bench and he didn't come on until like the 79th minute when they were already, what, 4-0 down. They conceded another one after he came on and he might, you know, you could say that he was partly liable for that one, but still there just seems to be a disbalance in the heart there. And, you know, I think we'll probably be talking about this forever until they find an appropriate replacement, but his sort of way of ensuring that there's stability between attack and defence is very much taken for granted really especially when he's not there it's quite obvious and then I mean the subs weren't the most inspiring you know bringing on Marlos Marcus Antonio at half time 
for Tete and Solomon, who you'd probably say are the more creative players in the team and who have been playing okay in the UPL. So it was slightly weird. And then, yeah, then the sort of collapse. They're going to the Bernabeu next. And it seems that Real Madrid are on a way up, sadly, in terms of momentum-wise. And they didn't follow this performance up with the most convincing display against Vorskla either. Vorskla were very much taking it to them toe-to-toe in their match on the weekend until Olivia Till got sent off and, you know, match management made it slightly easier for Shakhtar to get the win in that one. I think that, as we've already discussed, Deserbi probably needs a bit more time to sort out exactly what he's going for and it most likely is going to end up with the fact that there's no European football for Shakhtar in the spring. Because if we're looking at the table right now, what Sheriff have got six points, Shakhtar have got one point. Shakhtar have to at least win probably two of those games to edge Sheriff when they've got Sheriff in the last match. So beat them and then probably win one of those other two games. Is that possible in the grand scheme of things? It doesn't look the most realistic, especially Inter and Real as those other two matches. So, yeah, uh, slightly disappointed. I think everyone's um, underwhelmed by sort of the promise. I, I tweeted out after the game about the fact that they spent 45 million euros in the summer. And obviously they've ended up losing 5-0 when last year they beat Real Madrid twice minus 45 million worth of sales. I wasn't talking directly about the players added in terms of, you know, Pedrinho has been fine, obviously Troy is out and all that kind of thing. But I'm just saying in the principle, the round thing that they have spent 45 million and there's not much physically to show for it on the pitch, if you know what I mean. So yeah, uh, debate can be ensued on that one. I'd say the team's gone backwards to be perfectly honest, uh, from where it was definitely 12 months ago. We know the, the side collapsed after after Christmas last year when uh, Castro was on his way out. But, my God, it's, it, it, it does, look, does look poor. I, I don't know Akhmetov personally, <laughs> so I can't comment too much, but I, I would wonder if his patience is already running thin. With the Zerbi, I I wouldn't be shocked if there was a Christmas sacking uh, six months in. I mean, tell tell me I'm wrong. Go on, Ray. Tell me he's going to stay for two years, and after in ne- next season, Chaktar are going through to the knockout stages. Let's hope their women's team do, does. You know, <laughs> if we look at that perspective, but. Uh, it's sta- it was staged so perfectly. There, there is no room for promiscuous uh, moves anymore with Shakhtar, with all this uh, industry they're pulling on in Kiev and all these acts they're trying to put on. So it was staged beautifully and it's not going to fall down like a paper, a house of paper cards, you know, not at all. The Zerbi stays as long as... Um, it's not even about the money, you know, as long as... Uh, scenario and uh you know is being written and that's i mean it's it's timeless thing you cannot predict it it's not gonna happen that's for sure 
And uh, even if we recall uh, the worst uh, year of Shakhtar, which was 2008, when they uh, lost the qualifiers for Champions League and they were uh, not doing good in the um, in the Vyshe Liga at that time. And Akhmetov uh, took credit for Luchesko and they won the UEFA Cup. So, yeah, I'm not the one to be recalling those uh, victorious pages of Shakhtar history. But then again, it's not about um, impulsive uh, decisions. I mean, who, who, who is going to come after the, the Derby, after so much money spent, after so much, uh, oh, once again, so much fuss and, uh, um, and praise and um, all that jazz, you know? So, simply, we are going to finish that season uh, with uh, the things as they are now. And uh, it's never been like that with Ukrainian football, which uh, has five months of break time uh, in between the years and uh, it was never the time of big change so <laughs> there's nothing too much to expect from there that's a shame that's a shame kind of re- reminds me of a certain manager at manchester united at the moment uh, he's, he's at the wheel and everything's going wrong we've mentioned marlon who's i think you were kind in your description of him earlier andrew <laughs> And I, I think about him as a defender, I, I get kit and so I'm not, not a fan at all. Um, Max, can I bring you in here on Dear Shakhtar? Um, in, in your opinion, I, Andrew mentioned there the big issue, one of the big issues, Stepanenko coming towards the end of his career and a lack of replacement. Um, where do you see the problems? I didn't get the plan of the Zerbi indeed, because like he was trying to play with the ball against Real Madrid. Are you for real? Are you kidding us? What? Because <laughs> how you can play uh, with the ball against one of the best teams in the world when you have players like Merlon, Macon, Alan Patrick, and Pedrinha? It's like it's a very silly thing as for me. Moreover, they have, uh, I mean, Shakhtar, they have Dodo and Ismaili on flanks. Everybody knows that they will go for attack and they will have space behind their back and Merlon and uh, Kripsov are not past players. So definitely uh, Rodrigo and Vini, they will have space to score the goals. Even Benzema, faster than Kripsov and Merlon. So it was a silly plan, I believe. And uh, about Stepanenko, yeah, I totally agree that as for me, he should play. He should play because he's the only guy who can tackle in the whole team because no one can do that. I'm not even telling about the midfielders. I'm telling about the defenders as well. Because even Matvienko is not the best guy in this field of skill. So um, I don't know why Stepanenko is not playing. Probably he is not recovered. Because, uh, uh, for example, in Poltava, he was substituted because of the injury. Maybe he is not healthy still. But I'm not sure of that. It's, it is a weird one. I know, maybe for me, I just feel it's a bit of having watched the Zerbi on the sidelines. It's a bit of mm. arrogance from him that he he believes his way is the best. And it's when you've got people like the Zerbi and churches and that all hail in the mighty the Zerbi to, uh, change, to change his way would be sacri- sacrilege. And it ends up with these big beatings that aren't acceptable. I didn't get one more point of him. Uh, he put uh, Fernando 
in starting 11 and he re and he was trying to play with the ball but fernando is not good the guy with the ball he is good guy to go in deep to play behind the backs of the defenders on the same time he had sikan who is much better player who can play with his back to the goalie so i didn't get that as well and i didn't understand why he didn't put sikan at least in the second half it's very strange for me agree right yeah i just wanted to say that uh reputation wise the losses would be unacceptable for Shakhtar and that kind of reminded me of another club who is uh, who everyone is talking about these days Newcastle in the 90s when Ruth Gullit came there and he announced the sexual revolution so that's something we have going on in Shakhtar these days and it's probably going wrong but again it's for for the Newcastle back then it didn't cost anything but today if such person came to Newcastle I mean you know what happened right you know what would have happened <laughs> yeah now will be the last we ever see as Ray as people whisk into the country. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, I mean, funnily enough, though, guys, like last week, there we were praising Shakhtar's demolition of Zoria and sort of mourning the death of Zoria. I, I seriously believe that our good friends at Zoria took the podcast, played it with a translation to the squad. Uh, <laughs> before they boarded the plane to Sofia because this week it feels like it's a whole new team. Is it that or as or is it just right that the paychecks have arrived in Zaporizhia for, for the last three or four months and the guys have decided to start playing again? Just a little reminder, it's the UEFA money for winning the qualifiers to the Conference League. It comes in November and that would happen. Ah, there we go. It's 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 all 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 clear for us now. Money's coming, so the guys start playing. I mean, as you said, Andrew, I, I read your your report on on the game in Sofia, and uh, it was a huge step up from what we'd seen on the Friday before in Kiev. Yeah, definitely looked to be back up to what we know them for. Obviously, they're without Kucherhin that we've discussed a number of stories about what's going on there but they didn't ultimately miss him in the end it seems that Alakiara's finally got into some form Zahadi's also been playing quite well linking up with him and yeah he a moment of magic from Alakiara to get the win there and they were very well well disciplined in defense luckily and obviously there is the nuance that Cerska Sofia on probably one of the weakest sides in the group. We've seen what Bodo Glimp can do to Roma. So for whatever reason, even that first loss in the group to them, it's like you can't even be negative about Zoria because Bodo Glimp seemed to be a level above them for sure in just the way that they play. They've got some quality players going on there. And let's see. I mean, now it's just the return leg against Seska. If they get six points then you never know what those next couple matches can do. Bodeglimp could already be qualified by the time they play them in the last group stage game. Mourinho looks like he's going off the rails at Roma at the moment, getting sent off left, right and centre and all this other stuff. Could be in the midst of a crisis when they go to Rome there. Maybe they want to just get out of the Conference League because it's a distraction on the actual league campaign, etc. So... 
you know, you never know. And that's the thing with football. It's like, it's like the weather, as fickle as can be and probably how we can be. We can put our hands up and apologise, but if Zoria were absolutely atrocious against Shakhtar, but look to be a lot more, maybe it's a big kick up the arse for them and look a lot more coherent now in their past two matches against Zerska and Kolos, who also are not, the best of opposition <laughs> to add to that uh, caveat. <laughs> then they're not. <laughs> they're not. They're, well, I mean, Colos do seem to be firmly entrenched in that bottom group in the league. Before we come on to that group, though, I mean, um, Vera's a metalist. They're they're making a decent crack of it, aren't they? On their return, I mean, they no shock results and they're not they're not sort of threatening the European qualifier qualification places but they're firmly mid table sort of ten points clear of the bottom pack. Um Ray, you wanted to talk about these sorts these guys. What is it that Metalists and Veras have done right this year, you know, in the way that they're picking up the points and get grinding out the victories? What is it in your opinion that's They've got right having come out of the Persia last year. I think stability, stability, and a part of uh, on top of that, we know that their stadium is about to. Thanks to Andrew, by the way, we know that uh, their stadium is about to open uh, partly after the winter break in Rivne, the long-awaited uh, Avonhart Stadium for Veres. And uh, in case of mentalists, they are fighting the battle, not only against the rest of the league, but on their home ground, you know, and it's all credit to them. Uh, we might ask questions to who is backing them, but, and how is it connected to the, um, to the, to the, another hockey club we all know and who he, he who is he being run by. Uh, but uh, in general, decent performance and it's good, good example for the uh, upcoming uh, teams for the further seasons. I mean, obviously, not the ones who are leading the top of Persia, uh, top table of Persia right now, but for the next years, yeah, it's great, great inspiration. And who knows, uh, if, if they might still uh, fold after the winter break. I mean, five months is no joke. And it never was. And we've seen examples of Wolin. Back in 2000, they were fourth. Wolin, the one... They, <laughs> Yeah, they were, and they were beating Shakhtar and Nipro and so on. And after the, obviously after the winter break, a huge decline, they, bar- they barely survived the relegation battle. So the history knows uh, everything, and uh, I wouldn't bet much on them, on the newcomers, but if they stay in the league, that will be one hell of a show, especially if we remember that there are going to be two Kharkiv teams next season. Yeah. Um. And you think last when we made our sort of predictions at the start of the season, I certainly had Metalist down way down in sort of the bottom two in, in deep trouble. So I've been very surprised with them. Um, sorry, yeah, Metalist, Veres, as you said, they didn't haven't really changed their squad much since since they've come up. All sort of the key key players were with them in the Persia last year and Stability is key, and we're seeing some of the second second season teams. You know, Inglets, Rook, struggling a lot more in comparison to them when they've sort of tried to change it around a little bit and haven't got it quite right. Um, 
Max, have you been impressed with Veres uh, and Metalist this year, or even surprised by them? Uh, Veres? Yeah. And it, I don't like this team too much, because I believe everyone watched uh, the show about them on YouTube, mm. and they're good guys. I can't tell a different story about them, but the way how they're playing, oh, it's... Tough to watch. Tough to watch. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, Route One football for sure. <laughs> like, uh, h- how many goals did they score? Like ten goals. Ten goals in ten games. Yeah, and four yeah, of those, four of those against Desna, I should add as well. <laughs> I don't know how to even comment their game. On the other hand, they're doing their best because it's just the level of our football. Mm. So, and it's a bit. Embarrassing the team with such a squad is on the eighth place among 16 teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it was the same last year watching them in the Persia. It was, wasn't, wasn't pleasant to watch, but it was effective. <laughs> it, and... You know what? Uh, they remind me, Colos, sorry for interrupting you. They remind yeah. me, Colos, once they promoted, they were playing like the same style and they had good results for two seasons. But now they're in shit, so probably <laughs> this is gonna happen with Veras. Yeah, it's all about that transition, isn't it? Then people people see see how you play, and it's pretty limited. So it's quite yeah. easy quite easy to to beat once you realise it. So That's also, true. we'll see. I uh, this year, fortunately, there's a lot worse teams in the league, <laughs> and that's kind of <laughs> kind of helpful for these guys. I mean, Chulamoret, Slaviv, Rugmanai all had the opportunity to beat each other at the weekend, and not one of them could even manage that. They're so bad. Drawn games at the bottom of the table are the worst thing because it doesn't help uh, any anyone at all. Um, I, it's it's pretty dire down there at the moment, and Mariupol, of course, being the worst of them all. Veres having beaten them after having beaten Chorna Moritz last week. God, does anybody see Mariupol survive in this? Yeah, potentially. You do? I, I think they might somehow bring it back because there's been rumours over the past few weeks that uh, Ostap Markevich might get sacked, and I mean. We've been speaking about Mariupol over the past few seasons, and I, their squad isn't that much different to what it has been over the past few years. They've just got a couple of newbie players in there, but on the whole, they've got that core Shakhtar Loni still there, like as in, you know, Topalov, uh, Kashchuk, and all, all the likes. Okay, some of them aren't starting players or the likes, but you'd expect something better from them. I just got a feeling that we all know their links to Shakhtar and whether Shakhtar would allow their feeder club to drop down into the Persia is a different story. There's been some claims that potentially if if Mariupol get relegated, then Metalist 1925 will become that new feeder club next season. Maybe that's sort of what's being counted on. That's all rumours, no confirmation on any of that. But but yeah, I mean, I think we can all agree that if Mariupol did get relegated, no one would really miss them. The same for Trodno Moritz at this current moment in time because mm-hmm. it's not really the real Trodno Moritz. 
as a squad wise, I mean, it's just all Dynamo uh, low knees. And then you've got Lviv, who, you know, everyone shrugs, can shrug at them on that basis. And Inhulets have been very disappointing this season. Very mm-hmm. underwhelming. I mean, for me, I'm probably most sympathetic to Manai because I think that they've played a few decent games. They've got some quite nice uh, results against some of the big sides. Okay, not the best football at all. But, you know, with a makeshift squad that they just put together at the start of the season, they seem to be doing a lot better than we expected and are slightly more, you know, playing more positive than some of the others. Just have to hope in, in Christmas they don't make the similar sort of transfer decisions as they made 12 months ago because we all know how that, that worked out, Mr. Malevsky. Uh, <laughs> uh, not the great, not the greatest. I mean, Mark, you've mentioned there just about how disappointing it is to see a team that plays football like Veras in eighth place in the league. I mean, how disappointed are you with? the standard of football down at the bottom of the league? Oh, I would say that uh, it's like mixed feelings about Mariupol. First, I don't like the fact that Mariupol exists like a factor too in the league. But uh, they're showing good uh, themselves and they're trying to play football. They're trying to do uh, some combinations, passing, and it's quite interesting to watch on them. And they have some bright players like Kulakov. He's uh, one of the openings for me this season because he's doing really good. And I hope that he can go on and to transfer after this season to a, bit, a better team. Um, as well as Chernomorets. They are doing well, uh, especially the guy uh, in the central. A zone of the pitch, Mikhailenko. He was doing good in U21 championships, but now he shows him as a leader of this team and he's playing next to Kravchenko, the experienced guy. So I see a bright future of him as well. And about Ingolets, uh, <laughs> I just pray that they could relegate. Please, please. <laughs> Boy, what have Inglet's done to you? Uh, and about I, mi, mi, Minash, Minash. Yeah. I, I like the way to say Minash. <laughs> uh, I like this team and I don't understand why uh, Cobin was sucked because um, they showed like mixed results. They uh, played, they had a draw against Zora, against Shakhtar, if I'm not mistaken. They beat Alexandria. They lost a few matches, but the game was, uh, I, mean, I mean, the game plan was not so bad. And they showed quite interesting ideas. And they had Selizno, so it was interesting team to watch. Especially they have the guy, the past guy, Ahmed Zadeh, uh, number 10. He's also one of the bright players, as for me. And our school, our school. As we mentioned earlier in the show, of course, uh, Good chance there's going to be two Kharkiv teams in uh, mm-hmm. the UPL next year. And they had a small celebration. The Persia, the Persia team, Metalist, 
in Kharkiv at the weekend. I mean, Andrew, have you ever seen in your life such a grand opening of an academy in <laughs> in Ukrainian football? Not really. And I mean, maybe not even just Ukrainian football that I can remember. I just, I don't think there's so much uh, publicity given to the opening of an academy in sort of the way that it was done. So it was like a festival. But I mean, fair enough to Metalist. They want to get the fans on board. I think they've got over like a thousand kids that are either listed or want to join or something like that to the academy there. That's obviously been neglected over the past almost 10 years uh, since Yaroslavsky left. So it will be interesting to see whether they can start challenging the you know, the monopoly of Dynamo and Shakhtar with their academies in Ukrainian football. I would say that they have a great academy. They have great teams, especially uh, you uh, under 16. Probably their team is the best in Ukraine right now. There you go. So it, it's it's looking good. And I mean, it seems like a lot of the people in the city and the fans are behind it as well. So it will be very interesting to see how it develops. And just to add, they also had like a show of um, TNMK. Uh, the Hard Kiss was performing, Jerry Hay, all the likes. So it's just that kind of thing that you can expect probably to increase once the club gets back to the uh, UPL as well. Um, just festival atmosphere in Kharkiv at the moment. We'll see whether that continues after the mayoral elections there next week. Ah, good point. Very good point, very good point. And what a great point to finish the show on today. Uh, it's, it's been a great one, guys. I've really enjoyed it. Max, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been great to get your insight into it. And we wish you the best of luck <laughs> with, with everything <laughs> this season. Um, for people who are following and would like to follow your work a bit more, is there anywhere on social media that they can connect with you? Sure, just type Maxim Snitkovsky on Instagram and you will find me easily. Cheers, thank you. Thank you, guys. Andrew, great show as always, mate. Um, for new listeners, where's the best place for them to connect with you? Yep, Zori Londonsk on Instagram and Twitter. And obviously, don't forget about our YouTube channel, Ukraine Plus Football. Got a new vlog that released recently about my trip to Barcelona. And we've also got a new episode of the road trip coming out very soon. So look out for that. What a great way to finish up there. It's put a smile on your face, right? Great show, mate. As always, hope you've enjoyed it. For new listeners, what are your social media handles? Thanks, Adam. I really enjoyed it. It's great to be back after the uh, one episode delay. But here I am. Um, my Instagram is uh, Oblong Casual. There we go. There we go. And of course, you can follow me at Ukrafot24 across all the social media handles as well. But till next time, this has been the 19th episode of the Ukraine Plus Football Podcast. Until episode 20, take care, stay safe, and goodbye for now. Yeah.